I'm Mark Golicky. I lead the youth group here at Crossway, for those of you who don't know me. And no, I'm not as high-tech as my dad. I go old-fashioned with plain old paper right here, not my iPad. <laughs> so, I've been thinking a lot about guilt recently. There may be a lot of Christians that live their life without much pain of regret, but I know even more certainly that many, many serious Christians live their entire lives with this low-level, constant, nagging guilt. What are some of the ways that we feel this kind of guilt? We could pray more. We're often not bold enough in evangelism. We like sports too much. We watch movies and television too often. Our quiet times are too short or sporadic. We don't give enough. We buy a new couch. We don't read to our kids. Our kids eat Cheetos and French fries. We don't recycle enough. We need to lose 20 pounds. We could use our time better. We could live somewhere harder, something smaller. You get the point. There are a million different reasons that we could have the feeling of needing to do more, to accomplish more. But what I really want to talk about tonight is what Jesus did on the cross to free us from that guilt so that we can focus on him. So in college, Rachel and I were able to actually go to Israel for a study abroad for three and a half months, along with 30 other students. And while we were there, we actually had the opportunity to walk the very same path that Jesus did the night before he was crucified. So it starts up on the the western hill in Jerusalem at the traditional site of the Passover, And at the Passover, the meal is entirely representative of the Jewish salvation. It commemorates them being freed from the country of Egypt and the Exodus, as you know. So that was salvation to the Jews. And here is Jesus with his disciples. And he's saying, have this meal, eat this, drink this cup in remembrance of me. And what he's really saying to his disciples, he's preparing them for the the following day. Because he's saying, I am now your salvation. My body, my blood, what you're going to see tomorrow is the new salvation. This was totally and radically different for the Jewish mindset. So he's preparing them to understand this. And from there, he goes across, to the, across the Kidron Valley. It's only about a half mile walk over to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying before the Father. And keep in mind, we have no reason to believe that Jesus had any amount of sleep the night before he was crucified. He pulled an all-nighter. So he would have been exhausted. And here he is, late into the hours of the night, he's praying because he knows the cross is coming. He's to the point of angst that he is sweating drops of blood. And as history tells it, there were men that came after Jesus that actually went to the cross singing hymns and rejoicing before God that they were counted worthy of dying in the name of Christ in the same way that he did. So what is is that to say? If Jesus is so anxious, is he a lesser man? The captain, the author of their salvation, is he a lesser man than they? Absolutely not. You see, what Jesus understood about the cross was it was so much more than a physical demonstration. It was so much more than physical pain. He knew that he was going to the cross to bear the full weight of the wrath of God. And not just that. But for the first time in history, in eternity past, Jesus and the Father, their perfect relationship would be severed. That brought Jesus to this point. From there, he's betrayed by Judas. He undergoes three different trials before the Jews, and then another three before the Romans, before he's actually crucified. Open up to Luke 23, if you have your Bibles. Verse 26. It's in light of all this suffering that I find this verse we're going to come to 
It's just so amazing. Jesus says something while he's on the cross that is just earth shattering. We're going to pick it up in verse 26. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. Verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What man is this? What is Jesus really saying here? He's saying forgive them on the one hand, which implies that there is a guilt from sin. On the other hand, he's saying they know not what they do, which in the same vein that Paul says in Romans, or where there is no law, sin is not imputed. So you kind of get the same idea. If they don't know what they're doing, how can there be any guilt of sin? Is Jesus contradicting himself? I don't think that's the case at all. If you flip over to John 15, verse 22, you find this. Jesus, and this is just before going into the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he's crucified, he says to his disciples, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. So what Jesus is really saying here, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, is a pronouncement of guilt. They ought to know what they're doing, but they don't. And they're guilty for not knowing. So who is he really talking to? Who is the they? Luke 23, verse 13 says, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. The chief priests, the rulers, and the people. This is Israel. This is God's chosen people. The very people that God chose as his holy nation, his people to shed his love on, to give the covenants, are the very ones that are crucifying him. From the scriptures, they should understand who he is, that he's the Messiah. And even still, Jesus says, while hanging on the cross, undergoing all of this excruciating physical pain, spiritual pain, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the very same parable that Jesus told about the man who goes off, who owns a vineyard. He sends his servants back to the vineyard to to gather some fruit, and they kill the first servant, they kill the second servant, the next, and so forth. And they say, surely they will recognize my son. And as the, the parable says, Israel did not recognize the son. They crucified him. So let's move this a little closer to home. Romans 4.25 says, Jesus was delivered over for our transgressions. Romans 3 says that all have sinned. So if Jesus went to the cross to take care of the very problem of sin, and all of us in this room are guilty of sin, then that means that every single one of us in this room is also responsible for the very crucifixion of Christ. Jesus is making a pronunciation, a pronouncement of guilt. 
So what are we really to take away from this? We are all guilty, but what is Jesus really saying? He's saying, Father, forgive them. We understand that we're all responsible for the crucifixion, but in the context, Jesus is praying for the very people that crucified him there. I don't think there is a sin that anyone in this room has committed that is more heinous than murdering the very Son of God. And if that is forgiven by the man himself, surely we who love God can humbly expect to receive mercy from him. What guilt can remain if Jesus is able to forgive the sin? Now, I'm not saying there's no room for guilt in the Christian life, because there is. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. But this perpetual sense of guilt that we walk around, we carry with every day, is really a misappropriation of the gospel. Because Jesus already dealt with that. It is finished. To tell us that. So even more than my desire to crush guilt under the weight of the gospel, I hope that we all walk away in awe of the Son of God, this man, Jesus Christ. Because conceptually, I can understand what Jesus is saying. I understand. He's forgiving the people that crucified him. But did Jesus really mean that? I have to admit, that is something that is very hard for me to grasp. It's too strong of him. It's It's so righteous. It's so undeserved of the people he's praying on behalf of. And Jesus didn't have a get-out-of-jail-free card, a control-alt-delete, where he could just go into God mode and no longer feel the pain on the cross. He felt it the exact same way that any one of us would. He was a man. He was a human. And that's what's so amazing. So did Jesus really have to say this? Did Luke have to include it in this account? Isaiah 53 says, He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So you might say this was to fulfill prophecy, but I think that could have happened the night before when he's praying, and he didn't have to necessarily say this out loud. He accomplished that on the cross without a word. I think what Luke is really doing here is giving us just a glimpse of a keyhole view to the person that Christ is. If Jesus can demonstrate such a tender heart under such excruciating pain and circumstances, I can't imagine the kind of mercy he would be willing to show those of us that love him. And even beyond that, in his darkest moment, he's showing this tenderness, this compassion. What kind of power and glory will he return with when he returns as the the full and powerful reigning king, sovereign over the universe? Luke includes this so that we might be utterly intrigued by this man, Jesus Christ. And surely the scriptures are sufficient for life and godliness, but there is so much more to God than could ever be contained in pages. There's more to be revealed by the man Jesus for who Jesus is. So here's my closing point. To truly understand the gospel and what Jesus did for us should free us from the nagging guilt of inadequacy or conversely, self-sufficiency, but rather that we would have the freedom and the liberty to look upon the man Jesus Christ and just be utterly amazed and transformed by his unbelievably strong character, the perfection, the compassion he demonstrated by saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's nothing left for us to do. 
You are already forgiven. Jesus did it. To tell us die, it is finished. And this man is worth following. Jesus Christ is a man worth giving your life to.